We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. It is Monday, May 17th, and I want to start by apologizing for being late today. But uh, as I was getting ready to come down to start the show, I saw that I had a big shipment on my porch of of packages. So um, I got all the gear in. So I'm going to check all that out. I was only able to grab one thing today, and uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, I wanted to be today. We're going to talk about Notre Dame scholarship situation moving forward, and then also talk about how that's going to impact the 2022 class. I think now is really now is really the perfect time to talk about this because we've seen you know the first batch of transfers that that uh, that Notre Dame is uh, that that Notre Dame is lost. You saw Dylan Gibbons and Jordan Johnson. Dylan Gibbons didn't really affect the future depth chart because the odds were strong he wasn't going to come back for a sixth year anyway. Jordan Johnson's departure obviously impacts the future depth chart and also needs it at the receiver position. So what I wanted to do today was I wanted to dive into, you know, just where Notre Dame is at scholarship numbers and just kind of go over some of the flexibility in, that we could see when it comes to, to Notre Dame looking at the size of, of the class. And I think now that that Notre Dame is you know, they're at 12 commitments now that Notre Dame is is you're starting we're starting to see what kind of numbers they're pushing for positions I think that's that's also making it clear what they're looking for in regards to uh who they're going to bring back so that's what we're going to do today we're going to first dive into the, the scholarship outlook and then talk about the specifics of the 2022 class so let's dive right into that I'm going to first pull up 
this right here to kind of go over, you know, right now, Notre Dame's at 85 scholarships. Now that does not impact 2021 at all. They could add five players. They could add five grad transfers or give scholarships to five walk-ons and it won't impact the numbers for 2021 because there's no scholarship cap in 2021. Now, back once you get to 2022, the NCAA does plan on bringing back scholarship limits. So Notre Dame will be back to 85 scholarships just like everybody else. So as we look at the at the you know, just where they are numbers-wise, that's kind of where we start with. So you're at 85, you can only have 85 in 2021. That 85 does not include Kahan for me does not include Kihano Kia the linebacker Notre Dame signed in the 2021 class who we anticipate as last I heard is still going to go on a, on a Mormon mission. So basically everyone that you subtract from the depth chart now basically factors into that is going to be a scholarship coming open in 2023 or 2022 class. So let's look at that. Look, let's look at that. Now, this is what I'm looking at right now. When I, when I see Notre Dame's, looking at their depth chart and, and looking at their numbers and, and those type of players. So it begins with the graduate players. And these are basically guys that, that, that I don't believe have any eligibility left. And there's one guy that we'll discuss. So those players, those eight players are quarterback, Jack Cohn, wide receiver, Avery Davis, defensive lineman, Myron Tungvaloa and Kurt Heinish, offensive lineman, Josh Lug, Rover, Isaiah Pryor, linebacker, Drew White and place kicker, Jonathan Dorr. Now, some of those players do have options to come back for six seasons. I just don't see them or Notre Dame using any of those. Now, Jack Cohn is the one that's still in debate. So Jack Cohn's situation is interesting because he played his first three years at Wisconsin. 2020 was supposed to be his fourth and final season. And when I mean he played, I mean he literally played all, all three of those seasons. He played beyond the number of of games where he could have taken a red shirt at Wisconsin. And and so when you look at his you know his career in 2017 he played in 6 games, in 2018 he played in 5 games and in 2019 he played in all 14 games. 2020 was going to be his final season. He had a foot injury in fall camp, did not play at all last season. So my understanding is that now that gave him the option to, you know, that medical gave him the option to play in 2021 for Notre Dame. Now there's some discussion and debate about how that medical, that medical red shirt can then be applied for him to come back in 2022. I'm not sold on that being the case, but that's been discussed. Now, I think part of whether or not you're going to want to bring him back in 2022 is going to be dependent upon the development you see from Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner over the next over the next year. So those are the eight players right there that you say, okay, that automatically begins Notre Dame getting down to the number that there is going to impact 2022. Then there comes down to the fifth-year seniors potential fifth year seniors. Now this is where things get really interesting because Notre Dame is in a situation where there's already the players that you we anticipated being fifth year seniors because they took a red shirt or had a medical year. <clears throat> but because of the COVID year last year and the fact that everyone was granted a, an additional year of eligibility, Notre Dame has some tougher decisions to make than they would have had to make otherwise. 
So by my count, there are 16 players eligible for a fifth year. That is a big number. And, and if Notre Dame brings back half of those guys, so you'll see here, you know, the, the minimum eight is the minimum number of guys I expect to be gone. Anything beyond eight obviously adds to the number. So when you look down here at the chart and you see 21, that is with eight here, eight here, and then the minimums here. So when I look at the, the six-year, the potential fifth-year players, that list is running back Sebo Flemister, four wide receivers, Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey, Lawrence Keyes III, and Joe Wilkins, tight end George Takis, offensive lineman Jarrett Patterson, John Dirksen, defensive end Justin Adamiola, his brother Jason Adamiola, linebackers Bo Bauer, Shane Simon, and Paul Mawala, safeties Houston Griffith and DJ Brown, and cornerback Tariq Bracey. Now, the interesting part about this is that when you look at the depth chart, Griffith, Simon, Bauer, and Jason Adamiola would otherwise be done after this year because they played every year of their career. What's going to happen is, is that additional year of eligibility essentially allows them to get a fifth season, much like we're seeing Kurt Heinisch take advantage of this year. So that's an interesting situation. So when I look at this, I do not anticipate Notre Dame bringing back Sebo Flemister. I do not anticipate Notre Dame bringing back George Takis, John Dirksen, um, DJ Brown, Paul Mawala. Those, this is just these are my guesses. Because when you look at Rover, you've got Jack Kaiser, you've got uh, you've got uh, you'll have Nolan Ziegler, you'll have Prince Colley. They could potentially bring back Paul Mawala, but that means that's one fewer scholarship you can lose in the 2022 class. Then you look at the wide receivers, and, and I just don't see a scenario in which all four of those guys come back for fifth seasons. If Kevin Austin, for example, if Kevin Austin is healthy this year and performs well, he's going to go. He's going to go to the NFL and not take a chance of getting injured again. If he's not healthy and doesn't isn't able to perform to a level, then Notre Dame's not going to want to bring him back. Then you get down to Keys, Lindsey, and Wilkins. How many of those guys come back? Yeah, you know, to me, I don't, I, I don't know if Joe Wilkins is a guy that you, you'd look at right now as bringing back. He's got seven catches for minus, you know, under ten yards per catch. He hasn't been a breakout player. Lindsey and Keys are interesting players to bring back. My, my prediction is that they're going to bring back two of those guys. And then you look at J Jason Adamiola and Jared Patterson is, is potentially being early entrance to the NFL. And not early entrance, but guys that could look at the NFL. So you get into these situations and you say, okay, well, you know, Shane Simon has a breakout year for Notre Dame. Does he leave for the NFL? Or if he doesn't have a breakout year, would you bring him back for a fifth year? There's going to be a lot of tough decisions for Notre Dame to make. And I think part of this is going to factor in as far into how good are the players that you're looking to add to the class. I think Notre Dame is in a unique situation, for example, that it's safety. Let, let's look at safety, for, for, for instance. To me, it's not a great safety class nationally. It, it's not a class you look at and say, boy, you know, this is, this is just a great class and, you know, there's all these great players and, and uh, you know, there's, there's you know, you, you look and say, hey, you know, boy, you really want to load up there like, like we're talking about wanting to load up at linebacker. It's just not the case. And some of the top guys on the board for Notre Dame are, are right now, like Xavier Nwankpa, are looking like they're, they're, you know, right now I do not expect Notre Dame to get them. So do you say, okay, do you take a, you know, a guy that maybe isn't, you know, a prime target, or do you try to bring DJ Brown for, back for an extra year? You know, if, if let's say Notre Dame strikes out at cornerback, or they decide, you know what, we like these guys, but they're just, you know, we'd rather have Tariq Bracey back. 
Or you say, well, you got two corners and then you still have room for Tariq Bracey. Well, let, let's say you can get a third corner down the road and you say, okay, maybe you don't bring Tariq, Brace, Tariq Bracey back. And then how does his play in the fall impact your decision to bring him back? So there's just a lot of decisions that Notre Dame has to look into and factor into to who you're going to bring back. But as I said, I think it, I think I look at at least half of those players to not be back next year. So that's where I kind of get my minimum. And then the next group is you have to look at early early entries into the NFL draft. For me, I look at Notre Dame. Uh, no, Notre Dame. Kyle Hamilton is a guy I think would surprise us all if he was on the team in 2022. Would mean something went wrong. He had an injury or something along those lines, or his play suffered. I don't see that happening. I think Kyle's going to have another great year and go to the NFL. If Kyron Williams repeats or even improves upon his success from last year, running backs just don't tend to stay for as long as other players. I think that's where I get the minimum two early entrance. I don't know if a year ago a lot of us would have been talking about Tommy Tremble leaving and possibly being a third-round pick. I don't know if anyone last year was talking about Zach Wilson at BYU leaving as a true junior and being a first-round pick, or Greg Newsom at North at uh, Northwestern, or Javante Williams at North Carolina, all guys that were top 40 NFL draft picks. A year ago, I don't know if we were talking about those guys. So there's always that potential that somebody has a breakout year that we're not expecting. You know, I think Isaiah Foskey falls into that category for me. You know, if he has a big year and he has a breakout season, does he does he stay? Because it doesn't. You know, it's you're always you're always looking for good edge rushers in the NFL. And then you look at Jason Adamiola. He's going to be a senior. He's played three years. Does he come back for a fifth year if he has a breakout season? If he has a Sheldon Day type of season, NFL teams are already looking at him because of of how well he played against Clemson and Alabama. I mean, if you if you go back and watch those two games. You can make a strong case that Jason Adamiola was Notre Dame's best defensive lineman in those two games. Well, you're talking about impressing NFL teams. Those are two pretty good games to, to stand out and, and to flash on film. So I think that you look at those two guys, and then you look at Jared Patterson. You know, so those are th- that's where you kind of get into where this NF- this NFL situation could get a little bit a little bit interesting. And and the more guys that declare for the NFL is obviously good for Notre Dame because it means that a Notre Dame had a re- most likely means Notre Dame had a really good season. B, it means that those guys had really good seasons specifically, and it, it means that you know that they're being projected to be high draft picks, and all those guys are going to impact Notre Dame's ability to win games if they are playing to that level. So it, it's going to be interesting. And then, look, there's always transfers and medicals. There's always a situation where we saw it this year. You know, Notre Dame had almost 10 guys transfer. Some of those guys were, were guys that were you know we expected to come back this year. You look at Jordan Johnson. You look at Jack Lamb. You look at Ovia Gofu, guys that were certainly – being counted on going into last year's guys you thought would be back for their fourth seasons or in Jordan Johnson's case, his second season. And that didn't pan out. So there will always be at least three or four transfers, medicals, you know, you look at a, I don't want to, you know, just let's be honest. Hunter Spears is a kid that's had a lot of injuries in his career going back to high school. Didn't practice all this spring and Notre Dame's got a pretty deep offensive line depth chart. Is he someone that, that, could see himself going on a medical. There's other players that they're an injury away from being a, a potentially being a medical hardship situation. So that's where I look at and I say, I, I look at Notre Dame and I say that they could bring back up to 25. Now here's the other situation too, is let's say you have three guys going early to the NFL and you have, you know, you have your minimum eight, then you have your, your three to four transfers. Well, now anything beyond that, 
as far as the transfers in the medical, if you have more players transferring out after next year, and Notre Dame had much more than three or four transfers out after this year, as guys kind of get buried on the depth chart and realize they're not going to play, you now have a decision if you're Notre Dame is it doesn't automatically mean you're going to use that scholarship for a recruit. It could also be a situation where, you know, let's say you lose a young cornerback. I'm just throwing an example, and I don't have anyone in mind. I'm just trying to make a point here. You could say, okay, do you use that for an extra secondary scholarship, or do you use that to bring back Tariq Bracey or DJ Brown or somebody like that? Do you use it for a linebacker, for example? So there's a lot of interesting situations to get into, and that's where that's where this is probably, to me, going to be the most difficult offseason for the Notre Dame coaching staff to make tough decisions because, again, if, if COVID doesn't happen... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're not having a conversation about Jason Adamiola coming back. We're not having a conversation about J- J- Shane Simon coming back or Bo Bauer coming back or Houston Griffith coming back or DJ Brown coming back or Tariq – well, DJ Brown could – Tariq Bracey's not coming back. So there's, there's, that has created some very interesting situation because a lot of those guys I just mentioned were guys that are either starters or very important parts of the rotation. And now they've got extra eligibility. So we're not just talking about some, some fifth year guy that was there for depth. We're talking about guys that could be difference makers, guys that could be impact players. And so that's where, that's where this whole thing gets a little bit interesting. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Now we look at how does this impact the Notre Dame recruiting class? Well, right there, you see the numbers. When this whole thing started, I looked at Notre Dame probably being in an 18 to 21 range. There were some players that left that I didn't anticipate necessarily leaving when this thing started out. I I think Jack Lamb, it became pretty clear that he was going to leave when the season, you know, as the season started and he wasn't being given an opportunity to play. It became obvious that he was going to leave. But 
did not anticipate Kendall Abdul-Rahman leaving after this season. I did not necessarily anticipate Jordan Johnson leaving after this year. I did not anticipate Ovia Gofu leaving after this year. And so those are guys that all had eligibility into 2022. Those were all guys that had red shirt seasons. Uh, and well, you look at Ovi's instance. So there were several players that, that left that you looked at and said, okay, that has already opened up an opportunity. Now the staff has to decide where they are numbers wise. So when I look at this, this situation, I look at quarterback number one, there's one quarterback in this class. They're not going to take two quarterbacks. Even if there is a transfer out at quarterback, I don't see Notre Dame taking a second quarterback in this class for reasons we've discussed in the past. A, I don't see another quarterback that's necessarily better than the guys in 2023 that you're on. I think number two, you don't necessarily want to get into a situation where you're doubling up in one class unless one of those guys is a a dual threat player and there's nobody on the board for Notre Dame like that right now. Running back, this is a position to keep an eye on. Notre Dame is shooting for two running backs. Reason for that is, is because as I talked about, I there's a good chance Kyron Williams isn't coming back in 2022. And I don't see any scenario in which Sebo Flemister gets brought back. So you're looking at Chris Tyree and the two incoming freshmen, Aldrich Estime and Logan Diggs. You need at least one more running back, ideally two, to get to five. That's what Notre Dame is shooting for. Now, here's the question if you're Notre Dame is, how locked in are you into that fifth running back situation as far as a scholarship guy? And does Chris Ketterer, your walk-on running back, is he good enough to where you can say, hey, hey, he's our number five guy, and we have some other players on the roster that maybe could be a running back if if the need arose? So you look at it and say, okay, well, Dallin Hayden, Nicholas Singleton, and Gavin Sawchuk, if any of those three guys want to come and, and commit along with Jadarian Price, because you've already got your one, do you keep that situation? Do you stick with that? And yes, that's a that's a no-brainer. You take two backs. But what if you don't get one of those three backs? Do you then go to your next level backs like Quinshawn Judkins? Do you look at uh, Jabron Payne, Emeka Megwa? Do you look at those guys or do you just say, hey, look, we're going to move on. We're going to bring, we're going to have four scholarship running backs. We're going to focus on 2023 because there's already some backs that Notre Dame likes, some guys that like Notre Dame and say, you know, the odds of us needing a fifth running back are, are you know, are going to be slim after, you know, you've got Chris Tyree, you've got the two front, you know, the two, there'll be sophomores. Then you've got Jadarian Price. You'd have to have a lot of things go bad to not to need a fifth running back. So Notre Dame could say, if you don't get one of the impact guys, you 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 don't take that second back and use that scholarship somewhere else. That was what I would do if I was Notre Dame. Now we get to receiver. The goal was three at the beginning of the class. I don't know if the transfer of Jordan Johnson necessarily changes that yet. I still think that there are other positions that are more important. I think, if anything, the, the transfer of Jordan Johnson – would would most likely in my in my opinion again I don't have any sources on this yet in my opinion the transfer of Jordan Johnson opens up an opportunity for one of the potential fifth years an extra fifth year to get brought back do you say who could impact your team more in 2022 is it going to be an incoming freshman receiver or is it going to be Lawrence Keys Braden Lindsay or Joe Wilkins I think that's the situation that Notre Dame is in right now with that extra scholarship for Jordan Johnson so I don't think the fourth receiver scholarship is going to be there yet. 
I think the unique situation the Notre Dame is in is let's just say hypothetically they can get C.J. Williams and Xavion Bradshaw this summer, just for the sake of argument, okay, to go with a Morin Walker. So you've met your goal of three. You still keep recruiting to- Tobias Merriweather because his deci- he, he has said publicly that he is not going to commit until January and then most likely sign in April. At the very earliest, he's going to sign in December, and he's not going to be making a decision this summer. So you keep recruiting him and then see how other situations play out. You know, if, if you get into the season and, you know, let's say Lawrence Keyes is having a big year, but Braden Lindsay's injured again, Kevin Austin's having a big year, and Joe Wilkins is just okay, you say, okay, well, you know what? The odds are only one of those guys is going to go come back. So we're going to have an extra scholarship. Or, you know, we've had a couple other players emerge at, you know, let's say a couple young corners like Caleb Offord or Ramon Henderson. Uh, Chance Tucker, JoJo Johnson are playing really well, and you say, "Okay, you know what? We're we're gonna we're gonna have a scholarship that we're gonna open up there." I think it would have to be a situation in which something would have to change on the depth chart, or you maybe lose another receiver transfer. Something would have to happen on the depth chart to open up that fourth scholarship, and I don't think Jordan Johnson leaving was it, at least as of right now. They met their two tight end goal at. Uh, in the class already with Eli Raritan and, and Hunt and Holden Stace. Offensive line's an interesting situation because right now, when I look at the numbers, it's going to be hard to get to five. What would have to happen is some of the transfers or medicals or some of the, the players you lose are going to have to be offensive linemen. So you're already going to lose Josh Lug. I don't see a scenario in which John Dirksen's brought back. <clears throat> then you say Jarrett Patterson leaves. I think there'd have to be another departure for them to be able to get to five, even though I think five is needed in this class. It just to make the numbers work, it's going to be a little bit difficult. And I think that how that factors in is is gonna is gonna to me be largely determined by what they do at a couple other positions. Notre Dame right now, defensive tackle, for example, is looking at bringing in two defensive tackles. At least that's my understanding. I'm still trying to get confirmation on this, but it sounds like they are looking for Anthony Lucas, but they would also take Donovan Heinish. Well, when you look at the the numbers at defensive tackle, especially if you project Jason Onye to eventually be a defensive tackle like I do, and then potentially a guy like Tyson Ford could play inside, I don't think bringing in two defensive tackles makes a whole lot of sense. I personally would rather see Notre Dame shoot for the stars at defensive tackle with Anthony Lucas and maybe hold off on taking Donovan Heinish until you figure out what's going on there and then use that extra scholarship for offensive line. That's personally what I would do. It doesn't sound like, at least as of right now, that that's Notre Dame's plan. Linebacker, the number's four. So that's a that's a goal. And then safety and cornerback are the other two interesting ones because there's a lot of players at those two positions on the roster already. And there's a lot of players on the roster at those positions that uh, are potentially – guys that could get an additional year. So Notre Dame, you know, going into this, I kind of looked at safety as being the position where you needed two players, but I don't really feel that way anymore. Uh, I, I feel like Notre Dame's now in a situation where they could get by with one safety if they bring in three corners, assuming those three corners have a guy that that could potentially be, you know, could potentially be in the you know, down the road cornerback category. But when you look at the current roster with guys like Ramon Henderson, guys like Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes, Chance Tucker, there's some players at cornerback that could eventually be safety types. And not just because they can't play corner, but because they could play safety at a high level and help out there. 
So since it's not a great safety class and you're already kind of deep at safety on the roster, or excuse me, you're already deep at corner on the roster, but there's some corners to me that are better than the safeties you're recruiting. I think Notre Dame could find itself in a situation where they decide to take three corners again, which would make for a lot of corners in a three-year stretch. Got three in 2020, four in 2021, then you take three. That's 10 corners in three years for two positions. That's that's way too much. But the point being is I don't see all those guys staying at corner, and that's where I think Notre Dame finds itself in a unique situation. So I could see them going down to one safety, and if you look at the numbers, if they take one running back, one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, two tight ends, four offensive linemen, three defensive ends, two defensive tackles, four linebackers, one safety and three corners, that gets them up to around the 25 number. And then, of course, from there, you you could again look at it and say, okay, well, if you take one less defensive tackle, you can take another offensive lineman. If you take one less running back, you can then use that scholarship. So I do think there's a scenario in which Notre Dame could get up to 25. Could they get beyond 25? I think is the more interesting question. And and I've seen some people in this chat, for example, bring up the p- possibility of bringing back 26. That's going to be a little bit tougher to get to. And that would require a lot of things to happen that right now I can't anticipate. I can't tell you, Hey, this player is going to transfer. That player is going to transfer beyond these numbers. But as we, as we showed, if you, if you look at these numbers right there, there's some fifth year players that, that, you know, you'd have to not bring back or some transfers that would have to happen. So I think if you're going to get beyond 25, it would have to be a situation in which, you know, you only, you, you weren't sure what's going on with anything, Lucas. Let's say he decides he's going to wait till December to, you know, decide or January. So you bring him Diamond Heinish and you still keep recruiting Anthony Lucas. You keep recruiting Cyrus Moss. You keep recruiting Tobias Merriweather. You keep recruiting Xavier Nwangpa, let's just say, for example. And you say, okay, well, look, we're at 25, but you have to make room for guys, some of those guys. You're not going to get all of them, but if you can get one or two guys, say, could you get up to 26 or 27? Technically, you could, but the reality is is you're going to have to turn down someone that's going to play for you unless you see a bigger exodus from a transfer standpoint. And with the transfer rule changing, that's where this all gets very interesting for Notre Dame because Notre Dame is not a program that usually loses transfers at the rate that they lost transfers this offseason. Now, part of that was interesting because most of those transfers were graduates. When you look at Micah Jones, you look at Jack Lamb, you look at Obia Gofu, a lot of those guys were graduates. I think seven of the ten, Dylan Gibbons was a graduate. So I, I, if I'm if my math is if my memory serves me correct, seven of the ten guys that have transferred so far were guys that are graduating by the end of May. That number is going to be high again this year. So we could see some of these guys that I'm looking at as potential being fifth year players saying, hey, look, you know, you look at, you know, you look at guys like uh, DJ Brown, for example, you look at guys like Tariq Bracey, you look at guys like, you know, some of the receivers, for example, Sebo Flemister, and you look at those players and say, hey, they may want to come back and can you bring them back? Or the other scenario may be, you may want to bring one of those guys back. You may say, hey, we want Paul Moala back, but he's going to be your number two or number three rover. He may want to look for an opportunity to go play somewhere else where he can be the starter. So there's some of those situations as well. So I'm I'm more confident today that Notre Dame's recruiting class is going to be able to get up to 25 than I was a month ago. A month ago, I thought 23 was probably the max for what Notre Dame can do. The Jordan Johnson transfer somewhat helped with that. There's been some other transfers 
that I'm kind of recalculating how that's going to impact the depth chart. And then now there's some potential guys that had breakout springs that you could say may end up being NFL draft picks. So that's where we're at right now. And I think that puts Notre Dame in an interesting situation because they're now in a situation at Notre Dame where you could look at and say that there's more guys that they could maybe look to bring than they, than they were originally planning. I think that gives them some more flexibility to maybe take a player now and then still recruit the studs at the position. I think it gives them, gave them an opportunity to bring in a third defensive end, even though you were still recruiting Cyrus Moss. I think it gives them situations in which you can still bring in a second back. I think it, it helps up maybe opportunities where if you get the right five offensive linemen, you take offensive take all five and then you figure it out down the road. I think that to me, offensive line, is a position where I would take five now and then worry about the numbers later. I think I think that that's the need. I think especially at, at when you look at the tackle numbers, I think those that's a situation where they're going to need they're going to need more numbers in this class than people think. And I think they especially need tackles. Right now, Ty Chan can be a tackle, but after that, you have to ask yourself, okay, what what is who can play tackle other than him in this class? And I think they need tackles in this class. So that's where I'm at with the current depth chart. That is where I'm at with how it impacts the current recruiting class. So this is going to kind of help us as we dive into these big boards and we dive into some of these recruiting talks here in the next month or two, as we get ready for the June visits. I think this puts Notre Dame in a very unique situation to where they're going to be playing a lot of, a lot of mixing and matching and, and really looking at their at their depth chart. And there's a lot of players on the depth chart right now that, you know, they're going to have to get rolling. And D-Rock actually had a comment on this. We're going to dive into the questions. So if you all have any questions, go ahead and get those in there right now. But D-Rock says, sounds like these players will need to put the pedal to the metal when they get an opportunity to play, regardless of whether they want to return or test the NFL waters. And that's absolutely right, because obviously there's guys that want to play in the NFL. They're going to need big years, but there's other guys say, hey, if you want to come back, if you want to be still be part of this team, you better step up. And honestly, that's how it should be for an elite program. You should be in a situation where, you know, it's if you don't step up, you're going to get passed up and you're, you may need to find somewhere else to play. Obviously, Notre Dame does not force kids out. This is not a situation. Notre Dame honors four year scholarships. They are one of the programs that it, when you sign on the dotted line, as long as you live by the rules of the school and things like that. You know, they're going to honor your scholarship for four years, whether you're first on the depth chart or last on the depth chart, and I do respect that. But that doesn't mean they can't have some heart-to-heart conversations with guys and let them know, hey, look, we love you. You're you're working hard, and, and you're a part of our program, and we're gonna, we'd like to keep it that way. But at the same time, just so you know, you're going to be fourth on the depth chart next year, and I don't see a scenario in which you're going to be any higher. And then players have to make their decisions based on that. I think that's perfectly fair, and – and um I think opens up some opportunities. So that's where we're at. So let's see if you all have any um, any questions here real quick before we wrap up. And this is looks like this will be a little bit of a shorter show today. We'll be back tomorrow. Vince and I will be back tomorrow. We're going to dive into uh, <clears throat> we're going to dive into start doing sort of our post spring look at the depth chart position by position. I have the offensive my best crack at the offensive depth chart is on the front page at irishbreakdown.com. Today I also have. Uh, some Tyler Buckner highlights on the front page today. So, and I have my film evaluation of Ricky Collins on the front page today. So, uh, we'll have that. He has been in frequent contact with Coach Reese, and Ricky also informed me last night that he will be on campus. I believe June seventeenth was the day he gave me 
as part of a camp for Notre Dame. Uh, so he'll be working out on, on camp on campus this summer. And, uh, so, so he'll be part of, he'll be part of the summer workout aspects of it. So let's dive into some questions here uh, as we get going. Uh, Mike, Michael Moore says this, if I think of Rocco and Blake start, that would open up some space. I just think it depends because, you know, my first thought, my first thought to that would be uh, to to your question, Michael, or to your to your point, Michael, would be, yeah, I, I could see that, but at the same time, so let's say if you're Quinn Carroll and you're Andrew Kristoffic, and you say, okay, well, Rocco beat me out now. Well, those guys are still redshirt sophomores. I mean, they still have multiple years of eligibility remaining. You look at the right side of the offensive line; there's a good chance both of those guys are going to be gone. So, yes, you may not be starting today. But you still may have a chance to be a two-year starter at Notre Dame uh, after starting in 2022 and 2023. So, you know, does Quinn Carroll and and uh, Andrew Kristoffic bail if they're not starting this year, or do they look at it and say, "Okay, I got to keep working," because when Jarrett Patterson leaves after this year, I'm going to be able to step into the lineup, or when Josh Lugg leaves after this year because he will be gone, I can battle and step in the lineup. So, I I think that could have an impact as well, but there's also an opportunity that we could see some of that, some of that stuff play itself out too, Michael, because guys want to play Notre Dame two, one, six, four. I'm really not enjoying the whole transfer portal situation. I just think it depends on how Notre Dame handles it. You know I mean? There's certain players I think are worth looking at overall. I don't want to bring in a lot of transfers. I'd rather focus on high school players. I think that's what you see Ohio state, Alabama and Clemson mostly do. They pick and choose their transfer spots just like Notre Dame should. But I do think it's an opportunity where one of the things that I have felt has hurt Notre Dame in past years, I, I use that I, I use that term reluctantly because I, I think it's Notre Dame's doing the right thing. You know, Notre Dame doesn't force kids out. They don't have one-year scholarships like like SEC programs do, where you know if, if you're bearing the depth chart, or they want to open up this scholarship for a, a top recruit, they can just kind of take your scholarship and and you you, you don't have any choice. Notre Dame doesn't do that. And what that has often done is that puts has put Notre Dame in some tricky scholarship situations to where they are in a position where they'd like to take bigger numbers in the class, but they couldn't make room. Well, now you're talking about potentially two, three, four, maybe even five guys extra a year are going to leave. That allows Notre Dame to now be in a situation where they can start taking bigger classes and not by five, six, seven guys, but two or three guys a year. That's really important. It's been a long time since Notre Dame has had back-to-back classes with at least 25 players, and that's the situation that they find themselves in now. <clears throat> based on what we looked at is, you know, 23 might be a more reasonable number now, but getting to 25 is going to be a lot easier than it was a couple months ago. Getting past 25 is, is, is possible now, where it wasn't a few months ago and wasn't without the transfer portal situation. So, yeah, it's, it's a frustrating situation, but I think – Notre Dame is one of the programs that will benefit most from it because they'll be an attractive destination for top guys, more so graduate guys than they than they will be guys they lose. But because they're going to maybe lose a couple more players, then I think that you're going to find a situation where it's going to open up more scholarships for high school players, which is 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 a good thing. Dropping dimes, I've not missed a show in a while. I'm glad that you're with us and uh, today, and you're not missing this one either. Omar Olson has a question. Do you think the increase in talent level in recruiting uh, cause a higher level of transfers? Yeah, that's always going to happen. You know, when you're bringing in big-time classes and impact classes and you, the talent of your recruiting classes is up not just at the top but from a depth standpoint, then guys are going to get passed up. 
When we saw that with Kendall Abdurrahman, look, I think Kendall Abdurrahman's a really good football player. I do. I, I think he's I think he's got a chance to be a good player. He just needed work. He needed time. He played quarterback in high school. Well, in a place like Notre Dame, you, you don't have time to develop because the next year they're bringing in Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts and Jay Brunel. And then, you know, Jordan Johnson, you know, is, is having a hard time cracking the lineup in front of him. And then he looks behind him. He sees Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas coming in. And you say, okay, well, you know what? If I really want to play, there's somewhere else I'm going to have to go find a place to play. And I, I think that is going to be happening in a lot of places. So I do think we'll see that, Omar. I don't see Notre Dame having this like big mass exodus, especially because most kids are going to want to stay to get their degree. But I do think we're going to see more and more grad transfer for, transfers from Notre Dame, guys leaving after three years, kind of like what we saw from Jack Lamb and and Micah Jones and, and players in the 2018 class that have that stayed through May Ovia Gofu that are going to stay through May, get their degree, and then have a place to play for two years. I think we're going to see start seeing more of that. But that's a win for Notre Dame because these kids are getting their degree and they're not playing because somebody else beat them out. And to me, that's a positive. So yeah, that's a good observation. And um uh, you know, I think that's a good thing for Notre Dame. And it shows that the program is a lot deeper and a lot healthier than, than it has been in the past. David Knight, what is a ballpark percentage, in your opinion, of players that make a successful transfer and actually play? Honestly, David, I don't I don't have an idea on that. I, I haven't paid a lot of attention to that. I think every situation is different. Uh, not every kid that transfers is prepared to go be successful. I think some kids make bad decisions on where they transfer to. I thought Malik Zaire made a bad decision on where to transfer to. That was a bad fit for him schematically. I thought Brandon Wimbush made a bad decision. We have actually have a Brandon Wimbush um, situation or question coming up, but I think part of that is depends on where you go. We saw Gunnar Keel transfer to Cincinnati. That was a great fit. He had a great first year, had a bad injury that he never recovered from, but I think had that not happened, Gunnar was on a, a pace to be successful. We saw Phil Dracovic transfer and have a big year this year. We've seen other guys leave and not do a whole lot. So I think part of it just depends on why you leave. I think the guys that have transferred and not had success more so than most are guys that, who got in trouble at Notre Dame. But even then, it's not every guy. Jalen Guyton got kicked out of Notre Dame, went to North Texas, had a good career. He's now playing in the NFL for the Chargers. So I, I really don't I don't have a, a ballpark, David. I'd, I'd say probably less than 50% go somewhere and really have an impact. But yeah, again, like I said, a big part of it is is where you go. It's why, like Jordan Johnson, I I didn't like. If I was advising him, UCF would not have been a place I would have had him go to. But that's a big part of whether or not you're going to have success. It's the same with high school kids. Say, well, you know, this kid was a bus. No, he wasn't. He went to a place that doesn't know how to develop that position. For example. Jonathan asks, is the unrelated, is there any chance Brandon Wimbush's company could cooperate with Notre Dame once the the player's name and likeness stuff is settled? I, I don't know enough about Brandon's company to, to know that, but I would imagine that would be something that they would look into. Uh, but I have a feeling Notre Dame is going to want to try to control this as much as possible. Notre Dame, just knowing who Notre Dame is, they're going to want to try to be the ones that are pushing players towards certain things or trying to control who does what, where, and when? I, um, I, that's I, I don't have any inside info on that. It's just my guess based on knowing Notre Dame. But it would probably it'd be smart for them to try to partner with people who are doing this for a living, and uh, of course that's partly what Brandon's company is going to be about. David Jones asked Brian, 
Do you see Jeff Quinn being a sim in a similar situation as Dell Alexander with having to step it up both in recruiting top notch O line, develop them to get where they to uh them when they get here? It's a different situation. I think I think Jeff Quinn obviously is going to get more credit for certain things that have happened in Notre Dame, understandably so. He just had three of his four five offensive linemen drafted. A fourth is going to get drafted in the next year or two. He's recruited well. But he's also been a guy that's been able to get some younger players to have success. You know, Jarrett Patterson started as a redshirt freshman and, and did well. He's going to have potentially two freshmen starting this year. I think the, the problem with Coach Alexander is it's just taken so long for guys to develop. Uh, and in and, and some circles, Coach Alexander gets credit for the recruiting because some people just look and say, well, they landed this player, this player, and this player, so he must be doing a good job. Those are usually people that don't follow recruiting. Uh they don't realize that okay, yeah, he signed those Notre Dame signed those players, but he wasn't the primary recruiter for those guys. So I don't think he's in the same situation. Plus, I, I think it's a situation where Jeff Quinn is Brian Kelly's not going to get rid of Jeff Quinn ever. I don't care how bad Notre Dame's offensive line is, he's not going to get rid of Jeff Quinn. It's just not going to happen. Whereas Coach Alexander has more on the line, and if he doesn't step up, potentially he could find himself um, looking for another job. Michael, uh, I'm saying Gatio. If I have the incorrect, Michael, I apologize. You can correct me on that uh, down below. It says, hey, Brian, can we get Notre Dame to step up their commitment to special teams returns year after year? Feels like lost opportunities to pressure the opposition. Lou Holtz made this a priority in the glory days. He's not the only one. Alabama makes it a priority. Clemson makes it a priority. Uh, Clemson had Travis Etienne returning kicks this year. Alabama had Devontae Smith returning kicks this year. Urban Meyer made returns a big part of it. I, I do agree that that needs to be a focus. I think when people say Notre Dame has bad special teams, and, and I've pushed back on that because I my note my my comment has been their their coverage units have been very good, Michael. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. The numbers speak to that. I think Notre Dame hasn't given up a kick return for a score since 2018, and honestly, I don't remember anyone getting past midfield since then. But the return game is the polar opposite, and it's conservative. It's it's very generic it's just kind of catch the ball and there's just not a lot of creativity and aggressiveness in my opinion especially when you have a guy like chris tyree back there with his home run speed you'd think they'd want to get a little bit more creative to try to spark him but you know it, it fits with notre dame's con overall conservative philosophy offensively it's hey look we're not going to take a chance of something bad happening we're just going to field it and get the ball to 25 or fair catch or whatever the case may be. And I think that needs to change because, you know, special teams can have a big impact in games, you know. And, and I think back to, I think it was the 2015, I'm going to look it up here real quick, but I think it was the 2015 Alabama-Clemson game where Clemson was was really rolling against Alabama. And Alabama used a special teams play to to, to turn that game. They, they used a, a an onside kick to turn that game. And and those things can have a big impact in a football game. And we just haven't seen Notre Dame really have the ability to do that. Oh, and Alabama also, that game had a kick return for a score. So yeah, you look at the first title game when Alabama beat Clemson 45 to 40. Alabama had an onside kick that they recovered and got points on. Uh, and then they had a kick return. Kenyon Drake had a 95-yard kick return in the fourth quarter after Clemson had just made it a four-point game. So yeah, I, I think that there's a there's there's a lot to that. I think there's a need to I think there's a need to go out and 
have that kind of success. Yeah, this is this is what it was. So it was the second, it was the second half, third quarter, and Alabama Clemson had just Clemson had just or Alabama, Clemson was winning 24 to 21. And Clemson had either had the lead or or tied it most of that game. Alabama kicks a field goal to make it 24 to 24. That was in the fourth quarter. Alabama early in the fourth quarter, Alabama kicks a field goal to tie it 24-24. They call an onside kick the next for on, on the kickoff, recover it, and then two plays later, Jake Coker hits OJ Howard for a long touchdown pass. And then Alabama took control. And then uh that gives it puts them up. Out Clemson goes right down the field and kicks a field goal to make it 31-27. And then Clemson takes that ensuing kickoff back for touchdown. Or excuse me, Alabama takes that kickoff back for touchdown to go up 38-27. So just like that, two special teams plays broke that game completely open. We don't necessarily see the aggressiveness from Notre Dame to be able to do those type of things. Although I will say, you know, against Duke, we saw Brian Kelly make a gutsy call on, on a fake uh, fake punt. But would he do that against Clemson or in Alabama? We we just haven't seen that. So yeah, Michael, I think this is a great point. I think that's some of the one of the missing things at Notre Dame right now. Kenny Moore asked, Brian, is there still no scenario where the team signs five linebackers? No. For me, there isn't. And I think the only thing that would make me say that is if they had a mass mass exodus of players in the current roster. There's a couple reasons why, Kenny. Number one, we just talked about it. There's To me, there's bigger needs at other positions. And it's not just about signing the best players because you have to make your roster work. Five linebackers, to me, is harder to manage all five of them. And then do you get in a situation where one of them transfers? You also have Prince Colley from last year. So in two years, you've signed five linebackers for three positions, sometimes only two positions. Then you look at the situation where you have Kahanu Kia, if he does stay at Notre Dame, is going to be part of the 2023 class. So technically, if he stays at Notre Dame, they've already got a linebacker in the 23 class. It's Kahanu Kia. Then you look at the fact that you've got guys like Drake Bowen. You've got guys like Trey Edwards. There's a really impressive early offer list of linebacker. They just offered last week another kid at linebacker. So to me, Kenny, I'd like to see them balance it out a little bit more. And and I understand the need for, you know, you want five. But, you know, let's say you get Junior Tualamak and Jalen Snead at linebacker. Is Sebastian Cheeks really so good that you can't pass him up? I, I don't think that he is. He's not Cyrus Moss to me. He's not Tobias Merriweather to me. So I, I think four is the number. I would rather them go a three than five, in, in my opinion. Now, from a recruiting ranking standpoint, it would help because you'd bring in another highly ranked player. But when it comes down to just roster management, it, it's it's tough to justify five unless there's a major change to what we see from here, you know, from now until that time of the year. Notre Dame 2164, how much of our recent success on the field has impacted recruiting and how much of it is just more dedication to the recruiting process? I think it's both. I I, I do. I think it's both. I think, look, I've always said Notre Dame can recruit better than they have if they have coaches that'll work. I've always felt that. But Notre Dame also is a place that if you really want to get the best players, you have to win. And when you look at guys like, you know, just take the guys already in the class, you look at Josh Burnham and Tyson Ford and Aiden Gabera and, you know, guys like, you know, that you look at Jaden Mickey, players like that. To me, 
you look at where they are with Junior Two Alamaka and Jalen Sneed and and Cyrus Moss's interest and C.J. Williams and Tobias Merriweather, Dallin Hayden, Nicholas Singleton, are those guys really looking this hard at Notre Dame? No matter how hard coaches may be working, if Notre Dame is coming off of a couple eight and four seasons, I don't think they do. Here's the other part of that: when you look at offensively, I would argue that they're not necessarily recruiting as well as they from a from a work standpoint beyond Tommy Reese as well as they are on defense they're not recruiting as hard yet there's still all these big name guys that are giving Notre Dame a hard look why is that it's because the success they've had on the field this year so success on the field is the number one driver of an uptick in recruiting number one but to truly take that next step to where you go from you know 10 to 12 every year to to legitimate top five and I don't even necessarily mean rankings top five but you know to where us practically is analyzing film and looking at rosters would view it as opposed to just the point system that people use but a real top five class that's going to be determined by the on-field success that that to me absolutely you can work as hard as you want but you're you can you know Notre Dame so let's say years where Notre Dame was finishing 11th or 12th better workers better recruiting efforts could have jumped them up to like ninth or eighth, in my opinion. But it's not jumping them up to three, four, or five. That requires the the work, the quality recruiters, the quality effort, the quality plan, and all the things that we're seeing now. Plus, you have to have something to sell on the field. And I would throw in there, when we talk about recent success on the field, I would also include in that, the success on the field that has led to success in the draft. I think that's another part of it. When Notre Dame can say, hey, look, we put just as many kids in the NFL as Georgia did. We put just one fewer guy in the NFL than Alabama and Ohio State. That is a great selling point. And that is something that can be the difference between you finishing second for a kid and then you getting a kid. John Climax says, are we going to see more transfers before camp opens this year? Potentially. Potentially. I think that some kids are, are you know, just getting home and they're going to sit down with their families and, and make some decisions. But I don't think it's going to be many, maybe one or two. I think the kids that we're going to leave have made that decision. But I, I do think there's a scenario in which we could see maybe one or two more kids leave uh, between now and, and then. David Knight says, I'm not sure how you could question Coach Quinn. I, I think you can question him, David. And I understand where you're coming from because Notre Dame did really well in 2020. But my challenge to you is going to be go watch how they played in 2018 and 2019 and then watch them in 2020. And you tell me besides experience, what was different in 2020 than compared to those two seasons? It was the presence of Chris Watt. Now we're going to have to see if coach Quinn can get the, get them back to being, you know, the, the physical tough unit we saw this past season. And I hope that he can, but if we see a, them reverting bit back to the catching, the passiveness that we saw, we saw some of that in the blue gold game. If we see that this year, you can't blame that on experience. And then you have to question, you say, well, three of the four years he's been the O-line coach, this unit hasn't played necessarily fundamentally really well. The one exception being is when he had a Harry Heastan disciple working with him. So I, I do I do think that's a, a legitimate question that we have to ask ourselves when you say, hey, can you really question the job he's doing? I think when you look at recruiting, he's done a good job in a lot of ways, but at the same time, there's been some holes. 2020, he got Tosh Baker and he got uh, Michael Carmody. Really good job. They needed more. 
he chose to slow play Peter Skaronsky, who's from Illinois, that Notre Dame would have had a shot to get if they would have been on him early. Made that decision, and it cost him. Peter Skaronsky's now starting at Northwestern, and there's people projecting him to be an All-American this year. As a sophomore, he was started as a freshman at Northwestern. You know, how they went about the Jimmy Christ recruitment was a, was a mistake. There's guys that they passed on in that class, and they ended up coming up short on numbers. Then you come into the 2021 class, and they did a great job getting Blake Fisher. But I think we can all agree that Blake Fisher was Notre Dame's to lose. He's an in-state kid, and it's O-line U, right? Rocco Spindler was, a to me, a guy that was always going to like Notre Dame. But I'll give Jeff Quinn a lot of credit. He helped get that kid in the class. After that, is, is three, four, and five really up to the Notre Dame standard of what you expect Notre Dame's offensive line recruits to look like? Joe Walt, Caleb Johnson, and Pat Coogan? I don't think that it is. And then how he finishes this class is going to be important. So if he can finish this cl- recruiting class strong, and there's a chance to do it. And if the offensive line could go out there and carry on the, the tradition that we saw in the past and then we saw in 2020 of physicality and toughness, while understanding they're going to have their mistakes because they're going to be a young group, then you can start to say Jeff Quinn is the reason for the change in 2020, and Chris Watt was a part of that. But if we see them revert back, then you have to ask that question. So, David, I do think it's fair to ask the question, and I think we should always be willing to to ask the questions, especially when we saw the line maybe not play as well when they had one loss, whereas you know Alabama lost Landon Dickerson, who was drafted before any of Notre Dame's offensive linemen, despite a major injury, and their offensive line played great without him. Notre Dame lost Jared Patterson, and their line didn't play anywhere close to how good they were. Uh, or, you know, for much of the year. And so you, you, I think it's fair to ask those questions. I think some people get a little bit too crazy with it, but I do think it's fair to ask those questions. Stephen B asks, is there any under the radar 2022 commit who you think will, will be a, uh, think we will be a difference maker? Yeah, there's a couple. I think Jaden Mickey had a big jump as a junior. And I think Aiden Gabera are, is another guy that is a junior had a great junior year. He's flying a little bit under the radar. He's starting to 247, just jumped him up, and I think they're top 150. But if there was any guy that I'd say an under the radar guy would be that could potentially be a difference maker, I'd go with Darren Agu. I think he's a kid that's he's got that unique situation. He's only been playing football, really American football for really one year. He's a kid that's got just the kind of size and athleticism combination you can't teach. And there's such a huge amount of growth potential there for him as a football player. He's a guy that I could see. Um, I could see far outplaying his recruiting ranking when it's all said and done. Notre Dame 2164. I would think that our defense being as good as it has been, it would kind of prompt BK to be less conservative on offense and kick returns and rely on his defense to hold if something goes wrong. But see, I agree with you but he's kind of taking the opposite approach, which is we know our defense can hold teams down. So let's not, let's not make a mistake that could give the other team a short field. He's kind of taking that conservative approach with it. I'm with you. I think that having a defense like the one Notre Dame has should allow you to say, Hey, look, let's take a chance. Let's try this because we know our defense can bail us out. And we've seen the defense do that. I think back to the Boston college game last year, you know, defense gives up an early touchdown offense, fumbles the ball, if you remember, deep in BC territory. And BC's right there knocking on the door. All of a sudden, they've got a chance to go up 14-3. to 
And instead, the defense holds them to a field goal, and Notre Dame's able to get the momentum back. So, I mean, we've seen the defense step up and bail the offense out plenty of times when they've made mistakes. And mistakes are going to happen. So, if you're going to, if you understand that, then at least you can do is try to make more plays and make more opportunities. So, uh, certainly, certainly ag- agree with you there. John Climax says, or Moss, Lucas, and Taylor. I assume you're referring to take Jake Taylor. Uh, are takes no matter the number, though, right? I would say yes on the first two. I don't know about Jake Taylor. I think it depends on how the rest of the class shapes up. Uh, I I would I really like him. I'd like to see him in the class, but I'd have to I'd have to see who that fifth lineman was to take him. Now, is he a take no matter what? If you're sitting there and you've got four committed players, and he's your fifth guy, yeah, he'd probably take no matter what. And then you figure out the numbers. But like if you're sitting there and you know, let's say they get Billy Shrouth, let's say they get Carson Hensman, and let's say that they. You know, let's say they get another offensive tackle, and I'm just going to throw some names out there, like maybe like a Joe Bruner or a George Fitzpatrick or somebody like that. Then would you say he's a take at that point in time as a sixth guy? No, I don't think so. But as the fifth guy, for sure. And and Merriweather. Yes, Merriweather to me. To me, I don't know if Notre Dame views him that way. But for me, I'm confident that Notre Dame views Moss and Lucas that way. I'm not sure how they feel about Let Taylor and Merriweather. Here's a question. Notre Dame used a sprint draw out of shotgun effectively in the early Kelly years, including 2012. It seems they've completely gone away from it any reason. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, whenever I think of sprint draw, I always think of that big run Sierra Wood had in 2010 against USC. Uh, late, in the, I think it was – I don't know if it was on the game-winning drive, but there was a, a drive in the second half where they ran a sprint draw and Sierra made a guy miss and it was a big play. I think part of it is, honestly, they don't – they don't use sprint out as much. They've become a very pocket oriented passing team. And the only re- way a sprint draw can work is if you are sprinting out, throwing the football, Notre Dame moved the pocket a lot more early on. Now, if they do some of that this year, and I think we could see them move the pocket more this year, then we could see them bring that back. Uh, certainly. But yeah, it, it is something that they had success with. Um, in the past. And I think we could bring it back, but I, I, again, a reason I think that they went away from it is just because I don't know if it really necessarily fit, fit into the, again, it has to fit into the past concepts and Notre Dame's become so drop back oriented that I don't know if it fits as much. And we've seen them do other things off of play action. You know, we've seen them run screens out of bootlegs and things like that. So, I mean, they've, they've done some things to try to throw teams off in that regards, but I'm with you. I've always, I've always liked the sprint draw. And I also, as a quarterback, like being able to move the pocket, but, it's a little harder to sprint out nowadays as well. If you look at the evolution of college football, as teams are expanding defensively and you're seeing more four, two fives and three, three fives on defenses where there's now an extra perimeter player, you're now sprinting into numbers where you may be out outmanned in the, in the passing game. So, uh, you know, th- there's some scenarios where you could say, I understand why teams don't sprint out as much as they used to, at least, especially teams like Notre Dame that, that, spread the field so much with 11 personnel it can be it can be a little bit more challenging to to effectively sprint out with your pass game in those situations which makes your sprint out pass game less dangerous which then in turn makes your sprint draw less dangerous john a1 what position does notre dame need to recruit high floor players due to development coaching at that position wide receiver is one that i think of right now Honestly, some of the positions that I felt that way in the past, it's not an issue anymore. I used to feel that about cornerback. I don't feel that way anymore. I think that Mike Mickens can coach guys up. I think running back was one in the past. I don't feel that way anymore. I think Lance Taylor can coach guys up. 
I think offensive line's probably one that I would say right now where I don't have the faith to that they're going to be able to take a really raw kid and develop him and turn him into an impact player. Just haven't seen that really a whole lot, but uh, I, I don't think I don't think it's such a bad thing that you have to recruit given players. I mean, Jeff Quinn's a good offensive line coach. There, there's no doubt, and anyone that says otherwise, I'd have to strongly disagree. He is a good offensive line coach. The question is, is he a great offensive line coach? Alabama has had a great offensive line coach in recent seasons. Uh, Ohio State, in my opinion, gets great offensive line coaching, but their scheme protects their offensive line a lot more than Notre Dame's does. Notre Dame has to have a great offensive line coach because they don't run a creative enough scheme to allow them to gimmick in ways to protect their offense. Maybe that'll change, but that's uh, that's where I'm at right now with that question. And Kenny agrees that recruiting has dropped off a little with Quinn. I think sometimes, Kenny, people focus so much on the top-level players, and they say, well, look, got Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler and, and Tosh Baker. Yeah, but, but you need five offensive linemen. And I would say they haven't recruited five top-level offensive linemen in the last few years. D-Rock says, Cone's eligibility situation will be interesting. Do you see less patience or stubbornness this year by BK to keep his struggling starting QB in too long in a game? I think he'll see the same level of patience, assuming Jack Cone wins the job. Look, I believe that you cannot have quarterbacks looking over their shoulder every two seconds. You know, Ian Books struggled for several games in 2019 before I called for Phil Dracovic to replace him, despite the fact that I felt all along that Phil Dracovic had significantly better physical tools. Because you can't have your quarterbacks – like, I felt like this is where Steve Spur kind of went off the rails a little bit late at Florida. The quarterbacks were so scared of making a mistake that they it just sent them into a shell. And you want your quarterback to, to – you want your quarterback thinking that he's your guy until the moment you decide he's no longer your guy. And if you start pulling a guy the first time he struggles, then you're going to create a lot of tension in that room with the players because they're going to be so afraid of making a mistake. So my hope, D-Rock, is that Coach Kelly shows patience until the moment he decides we're making a change. That, to me, is the best way to handle quarterbacks. Because the other part of it, too, is when you show a lack of patience with your quarterback, when you show a frustration with your quarterback, that now creates a situation where your rest of your team's going to look at your quarterback a little bit different. I think it was Bill Walsh that had said in the past that he would never yell at his quarterback in front of his team. He felt like that. I think it was Bill Walsh, but he felt like the team needed to see their quarterback as, you know, kind of above it all. And then whenever he would get on him, it was kind of in, in you know, in, in private. And, and I think there's some merit to that. I mean, you, you need to, your team needs to know that your quarterback is also accountable for not playing well, but you have to you have to make sure that you're also doing it in a way where you're instilling confidence in your quarterback throughout your entire roster. Lauren Hamilton asks, what are your thoughts on JOK being drafted by Cleveland in large part due to be used as a weapon against Lamar Jackson? I think there's some merit to that. I, I think that it's not just Lamar Jackson, though. I, I think that you look at that, that division <clears throat> and you've got You've got Lamar Jackson, obviously, right now is the biggest threat in that division, and they like to run the ball. Well, I don't know if you're necessarily, you know, you're going to use him to spy Lamar Jackson. That's fine, but that's just two games out of 17. I think when you look at Cincinnati, what they're doing with Joe Burrow, you had or you already had Tyler Boyd. Now you add uh, Jamar Chase to that mix. You look Joe Mixon out of the backfield's a major weapon for Cincinnati. You look at you know the, the the Steelers have always kind of like to spread it out and throw the ball around. They've got a lot of talented young receivers. I think a guy like 
Jeremiah Wusukoromoa was needed by Cleveland because of how the entire division is playing. And then beyond that, how the NFL is trending towards this pass heavy league where you need to be able to get as many guys on the field that can cover as possible. So that's that's why. And I think it was a smart move by Cleveland. I mean, if they would have drafted him in the first round, I'd have been like great pick by Cleveland. But they got him in the second round and didn't have to give up hardly anything at all to get him. So that was a very, very, very good move by them. Old Grim says, who is Quinn's assistant now? Uh, it's a kid that came from Richmond. He's a, a typical GA situation. Uh, good background. I mean, his resume is good for a GA. I don't know his name. I'll have to look it up. I think his first name is Trevor but I'm, I'm not quite sure right now. Uh, Joe says, why has Kelly become so conservative over his time at Notre Dame? He was much more, he was a much more innovator at his other stops. That's how he made his name. I think part of it is just the pressure that comes with the job. You know, you, you make a, you take a gamble like you did against Tulsa in 2010, you take a shot. I don't know if I would have taken that shot, but I understood why he took that shot, but he got actually hammered. He got hammered by people when he took that shot, it didn't work out. And that's what happens is, you know, the, the, the way that the media is, the way that boosters are, the way that your bosses are, when you take a chance and it works, you're an innovator, you're a genius, you're great. But when you take chances and you go eight and five, it's, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're undisciplined and, and you, you know, you, you take unnecessary risks and, uh, you know, uh, just, I think that's kind of went into it. And he got hammered so many times, you know, North, I think of Northwestern 2014, he made some bad decisions in that game. But and then he, you know, you look at your one good season in 2012, and and you're up until you know, like I said, up until 2017. You say, well, you were good then because you had a great defense, you played ball control, you know, you're you didn't take a lot of chances, and okay, well, that's worked. And these other years where we, where we took more chances, it, it didn't work. So I think that was part of it, and to where Coach Kelly's at the point now where he just wants to, you know, make sure you beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Go 10-3 and three every year and everybody's happy. I think now I'm hoping that we're seeing a situation in which he says, hey, we're, we're close. And to get over the hump, if we can't, if you don't have the same roster as Ohio State and Alabama and Oklahoma, then you got to find your ways to coach yourself into success against them. And that's not going to happen if um, – that's not going to happen uh, <clears throat> after – I mean, if you're conservative, it's just not going to happen. Ethaniel says, could we hire Harry Heastan as an analyst? Could. I don't think that's a job he would take. John DeCristio says, how about Moss, Lucas, and Rice? Definitely on the first two. Rice is a little interesting situation. If, if you get, let's just say hypothetically to, to an earlier question about Jake Taylor, if you get, you know, if you get, let's say, Billy Shrouth, Carson Hensman, and Jake Taylor, I mean, Zach Rice is a heck of a player, but I don't think he's so good that you need to load up there. You've got Ty Chan coming, who's an up-and-coming player. Um, I don't know if I'd take a six-offensive lineman, even if it was Zach Rice, who's very, very good. But, you know, I like Jake Taylor a lot, and I like those other kids too. Jonathan asks, who is Notre Dame's number one O-line target for the 2023 class? I think the early, the early target right now for that number one pick is TJ Shanahan, who's from Orlando. He actually grew up a Notre Dame fan, and Notre Dame is all over him. Jeff Quinn has been all over him, so that's a that to me is 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 what I would is the guy that I would point to right now. Now that's going to evolve and change, I would imagine it over time. But he's a top top player, so he's always going to be in that conversation, in my opinion. Kenny Moore says any word on how Angeli performed at the New York New Jersey Rivals camp? 
I don't know. I don't talk to any of the guys at Rivals. I saw about 10 or 11 video clips of him, and he's filling out his body nicely. Uh, he's got a little bit more zip on the ball, but it still just doesn't explode out of his hand that I, the way I'd like. His accuracy is still a little bit just not elite, but he looks solid. Yeah, he looks solid. He looked like I'd expect him to look, you know, big, thick kid with the, with a nice arm that, you know, the thing I, that I noticed about him is he just always looks so calm. Like he just, you know, it's like he makes a great throw and it's just like, ah, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and I really like that about him. All right. Also, JOK got number 28. Do you think he is going to be more of a DB than a linebacker? Uh, yes, but I think that was also true at Notre Dame. I think when you look at a guy that's playing out of the box, when you think of a linebacker, you know, I, I think of in the box kind of guy, and that's just not who he's going to be. But he got number 28 because the NFL made a rule that they are allowing more freedom of, you know, for players to get different numbers. He got 28 because that's what he chose. The reason for it is he said eight minus two equals six. Six was his number at Notre Dame. So that's what he went with. Uh, Joe says, what do you think the graduation percentages are for Alabama compared to Notre Dame? Which kids end up being more successful? I, I, I can't, I have no clue on the last one. The last I've seen from Alabama is their graduation numbers were in the eighties, whereas Notre Dame is like 97 or higher. So Notre Dame has a clearly has a better graduation rate than Alabama. As far as who's more successful, honestly, Joe, I, I couldn't even begin to, to answer that question. I have, I have no clue. And I'm assuming you're meaning more successful not playing football. I honestly don't have an idea. I mean, I could guess, but it would just be a guess. And I think we all know what my guess would be. Uh, to, and Notre Dame 2164, am I wrong to be so excited for Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree this year that I'm dang near giddy? No, you're not wrong at all. I think you should absolutely be fired up about that. Uh, Tommy Leonard said Rocco's grandfather being a big part of his commitment in Notre Dame. Absolutely. But Jeff Quinn still had to put in the work. It wasn't a thing where you just, you could have anybody. I've joked before. There's certain kids you get that's like, you know, dudes, you know, it, the mailman could recruit the guy to Notre Dame. You know, I just, but that's one where you had to put in the works. So, I mean, I want to give him credit, but there were things working in Notre Dame's favor that aren't often working with top hundred kids. Stephen B., uh, I read a mock draft describe Kyle Hamilton as possibly the best safety prospect ever. How do you think he compares to guys like Eric Berry and Sean Taylor? I think some people in the mock draft business are just garbage, okay? Some are great, but some are garbage. And to compare a sophomore to one of the best players ever is just so hyperbolic that I have a hard time taking you seriously. Could Kyle Hamilton end up being that kind of player? Sure. I mean, he's got the tools, but but let's pump the brakes before – I mean, look, I, I think that we're still having a conversation. Is he even Notre Dame's best safety in the last 10 years? You know, he was better as a freshman and sophomore than Harrison Smith was as a freshman and sophomore, but he hasn't been better yet than Harrison Smith was as a ju as a senior and a fifth-year guy. So, I, I mean, let's just – let's just not – and I'm not saying you're doing this, Steve, and I'm talking about this draft analyst. You know, this, this pressure we're putting on him, I mean, it, let's let him – play his junior year first before we start putting on that kind of ridiculousness on a player. But again, it's, it's what is somebody like that doing it for? I mean, it's, it's for clicks and, you know, creating sentiment, but that's just setting a kid up to fail. That's a ridiculous, a ridiculous comparison in my opinion for a guy that's a sophomore. Now, could we be having this conversation in a year? Sure. If he plays phenomenal this year and is just a, a game changer this year, then sure. We can have that conversation.
Richard Robinson says, I love the linebacker recruiting class for next year. I saw this kid, Sneed. He looks awesome. You think Irish land him? If so, we are set at linebacker. So, Richard, I like where Notre Dame is at with Jalen Sneed. I think Notre Dame is in a great, great uh, posi- position to to get him and get Junior 2 Alamaka in this class. And if they can land those two guys, Richard, this this to me would hands down be best Notre Dame's linebacker class of the Brian Kelly era, which is saying something because I loved that 2018 class. But this is this could also end up being the best linebacker class in the entire country and one of the better ones in recent in recent years. So they're they have an opportunity to just knock it out of the park. And Jalen Sneed is a part of that. And I and I like very much like where Notre Dame is at with Jalen Sneed and Junior Chui Alamaka right now. Rocco says, or D-Rock says, thank you again for this, D-Rock. Make sure you hit the like button, share button, and notification button. Nice show. Solid. Thank you. Always trying to bring our A-game on our podcast. And uh, that is definitely a way that you can support our channel, so we appreciate that very much. Searcher Green, uh, to the people hitting the thumbs down, I don't know who you are, but I will find you. I appreciate that. Did somebody hit this thumbs down on this show already? Goodness gracious, that would be disappointing now, wouldn't it? Uh, but look, honestly, appreciate everybody that supports the show and uh, the people that that want to hit the thumb down. That's the beautiful thing about this country is they can hit the thumbs down for whatever silly reason that they want to hit the thumbs down for. Uh, and, and that's their right to do so. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. So anyway, uh, yeah, there are two people hit the thumbs down. Yep. You, uh, I, I like your comment. We'll I'll go ahead and not comment on those people right now. Uh, Lauren Hamilton, thanks for the answers. You are welcome. Uh, David Knight says, good hands team. Derek Mays, the Shark, Raymond McKnight, Chase, maybe Lake Dawson, wide receivers only. Who would you take? I mean, you have to have Golden Tate on that, right? And Michael Floyd on that. I mean, they both had great hands, especially especially Golden Tate. He made ridiculous catches at Notre Dame. I think he has to be in that conversation. As great as Will Fuller was, I'm not putting him on the, on the hands team uh, at all. But yeah, Michael Michael says that too. Michael Floyd, yeah, he would be one uh, for me too. But Michael and Golden Tate would would be ones that I would that just right away pop off pop off the list for me as, as guys got to be on there. I don't know if I'd put Chase Claypool on there. I, I don't. I mean, Chase had great ball skills, but I he didn't always catch it clean, in my opinion. But you know, I wouldn't argue too much with him being on there. So yeah, I'm a yeah. And David, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. Don't sweat that stuff, buddy. Hope it's going to get better. Uh, we also have the Notre Dame two one six four says very much enjoyed the Buckner highlights this morning. If you haven't seen it on the YouTube channel and and it hasn't been watched a lot, but uh, I took every completion that Tyler Buckner had during spring, so all fourteen practices that we saw, and then of course the blue gold game. I took all his completions and put it into one highlight reel. So check that out. Um, and it's also you can also find it on the front page at irishbreakdown.com along with uh, we also have on the front page today a film breakdown of Ricky Collins who's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the 2023 class we also take a first crack at the Notre Dame depth chart for the offense in 2021 so give that a look as well and that's going to do it for today's show remember to subscribe to Irish Breakdown Breakdown's channel hit the like button on this show Hit the notification bell once you subscribe, so that way you'll always be notified when we have shows. Check out our website at irishbreakdown.com. I did I did have a question that I wanted to ask the, the loyal listener. So we talked about the merch store is getting ready to launch. So I, I got a big shipment today of, of some of the stuff that I ordered that we're hoping to go on there. Some of it, I, I saw a couple things, but this is one of the hats that we got, and I wanted to 
Tell me what y'all thought of this. Does this kind of still have the same feel? Uh, this is one of the two hats that I'll have. This is a fitted hat, so I got this for me because I like I like the flex fit hats. But this is the logo. How does it look? Well, I'm also going to have uh, the same logo, but it's going to be on a snapback, and it's going to be a trucker hat. So it's going to have the same color, so the white and blue color as as the normal hat that I have, but it'll it'll be a snapback, whereas this one was fitted. So for people that like fitted hats like me, you'll have this navy blue option. And then for the trucker hats, it'll be it'll look a lot like this, but I think the logo is going to be better. You can't really see it on TV, but when I have when I'm comparing the two hats, the quality of the of the stitching is so much better on this on this new hat. So I will have two options for people. Again, if you're like me and you like fitted hats, this would be the option. It is a so I have a giant head. Anyone's ever met me in person knows that I have a giant head. So this is a low riding hat on me. I like the low riding hats. Um, that's just kind of how it's the baseball player in me. So this is one of the hats. I like it. This is definitely going to get the seal of approval. I did not order the um, I did not order the snapback trucker hat because I mean I, I just I cared more about the quality of the logo. I already know what that's going to look like. So the hats are good to go. Uh, the mug is good to go. I got to look through the polo and the hoodie and all that other kind of stuff, but. This was the big deal because to me, if even if we just the hats are work, then 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 we're ready to to launch the merch store. So, if everybody likes the hats, I'm kind of waiting. Uh, uh, so so John, so you um, you don't like the mesh part of the hats? Are you talking about like these these hats right here? You're talking about the uh, the trucker hats with the mesh. This hat, this one right here, to me is not a it's not mesh. I don't know if y'all can see it, but it's it's a baseball hat essentially. It's it's that's kind of what I liked about it. So um, this is the one that I personally like more. I like this also. Vince likes the trucker hats, so that's why we got these because Vince liked the trucker hats. Uh, but this the the trucker hats that we'll sell in store will be snapbacks. This all blue one will be fitted. And then also uh, my wife had a an idea. She wanted me to get a pink one, a pink Notre Dame hat, because she said some of the ladies might like it. But then also you know, might be something that we push when we get to breast cancer and awareness month. So anyway, if, as long as y'all like it and you feel it, I think the logo looks good. I think the gold, you can't really see it a whole lot, but the gold around the IB is a lot better on this hat than it is on this hat. So I, uh, yeah, so I, I'm happy so far. All right. I never got the nickname Pumpkinhead and Fred Flintstone, but I have a large head. So it's, it's always hard for me to, to, to find fitted hats that, uh, that work for me. So anyway, so I'm excited. I am hoping that, uh, I'm going to go look at the rest of the gear. There's a hoodie up there. There's a long sleeve shirt up there. Uh, got the visor in today. Some, the white, the visor for my wife in today. So I'm going to take a peek at that too. And I'm hoping to be able to rock and roll. The mugs already kind of got my seal of approval. I love the mugs. Uh, those are going to be good. The water bottle we're still tinkering with. So I think that now that the hat looks good, I'm, I think we're very, very, very close to having our our merch store ready to launch. So I'm very excited about that. And it sounds like so looking at the reviews, it sounds like you all like the 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 look of the hat as well. Let's see if I can get a little bit closer to the camera so you can kind of see you see how that looks. Everybody like that. So if you see that and then you look at this, the quality of the stitching on the new hat is so much better than the one that I've been wearing. You can't really tell when it's like on my head back here, but when you see it up close and personal, I think the stitching looks even better. So I'm very, very pleased with what we've seen so far. So much closer to getting the the, the merch store launched. So 
Armand, we will have it. We will definitely have it before the fall season, especially now that I got all this gear in and it's close. I, uh, I'm going to get with my wife tonight. And, and she, like I said, she's a graphic designer. She's building my merch store as we speak. So we're hoping to get that here very soon. So thank you all for indulging me in this and let me know what you think about the hats. We'll, we'll have those ready to go as soon as possible. And thanks again for everybody joining the show today. And we will talk to you again very, very soon. Oh, hey, and by the way, Jonathan. Yeah, so John Climack, John Climack says, uh, uh, brought up the gap closer shirt. I thought that was a great idea. I talked to Vince about that. I'm going to have my wife work on a design for that. I think that's a great idea. So it'd be like, uh, have like gap closers on it with like the IB logo either under it or above it. I think that's a, a, a great, great idea. So uh, we'll get on that as well. So everybody have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.